welcome to Beautiful Botswana, the travel podcast, where we aim to travel around Botswana and learn about this wonderful safari destination, as we chat with experts, safari professionals and safari legends, as we share stories, recommendations and help you plan your Botswana holiday. Joining me today for episode four of Beautiful Botswana is a friend of mine who has also been somebody I've known since my early days in Botswana. We met when I was a lodge manager and he was a guide. And since then, he has become world renowned as a photographic guide and photographer. He has gained a huge international following for his work and still calls Botswana home, although now he spends a lot more of his time gallivanting all over Africa. But Botswana is his home and Maun is his home. It gives me great pleasure to introduce tonight my guest, Matthew Coppin. Welcome, Matt. Thanks, Tessa. Great to uh, be on this platform. And uh, I'm sure this platform is going to create some fantastic momentum as a great initiative for Botswana and travel. And at least, you know, we, we're all here in the same town of, of Maun. And um, I think Maun attracts a certain individual that is very passionate about being here. And it's fantastic that we can all get together and share our information and, and just get it out there for everybody to hear and, and learn from it. Awesome. Well, thanks so much for joining me today, Matt. Can you share with our listeners a little bit about your background and talking about that passion, where your passion for Botswana and safaris and photography all started and how you got from there to where you are today? I suppose, you know, with regards to safari, wildlife, as we all call it, the bush, I believe it's in your blood. It doesn't matter where you're from, where you grow up, where you, where you are. Um, if you have that passion, it, it runs strong in your veins. And uh, yeah, mine started at an uh, incredibly young, young age. Grew up in the big city, as they call it now, in Johannesburg. But uh, I, I tried my best to get out as much as possible. And found myself in the Kruger National Park when I was still a teenager. But uh, Botswana always had a, a draw for me. I think Botswana is, for me, one of the ultimate destinations. I've been here for close to 20 years now. And it, it's a magical place. It's a diverse place. It's never the same. There's so much, as I said, diverse diversity here. It's forever changing. And it, it's just incredibly attractive and, and wild. You know, there's few few other places on this planet that that you can repetitively visit and, and every time you visit there's a different story. Um, there's a different landscape for the guys to the, the flood coming in. The flood not arriving, uh, the weather patterns, rivers that switch off, rivers that switch on again, and I think a lot of people that live in Botswana, you know, once you have that attraction, it's very difficult to to leave. And I always believe that all roads lead to Botswana, and and all roads lead back to Botswana. And as you mentioned, um, I'm privileged to travel over the whole of Africa these days, you know, from Egypt to Ethiopia, all the way down to, to Cape Town and Namibia and 
Congo, you name it. But all roads lead back to Botswana. And, you know, having quite a strong repetitive clientele, you may go guerrilla tracking in Rwanda, Uganda, Democratic Republic of Congo. And it's an incredible experience. It's amazing. It's life-changing. But then we do Botswana again next year. And then we'll do Botswana again the year after, and Botswana the year after that. And then we'll go to East Africa to see the migration, which is it's, it's amazing as well. It's again, it's life changing. It's it's beautiful. But then we'll go back to Botswana and back to Botswana, and that's why we both live here because uh, our our road ends here in Botswana, and I think it will uh, it will never change. Yeah, that's awesome, and it's really great to get that perspective of somebody who has experienced different safari experiences across Africa and can say that, as you say, you keep on coming back to Botswana and your guests who travel with you also want to keep on coming back even though they've experienced these other global experiences. That's true. You know, you, you might go to a lot of other places in, in Africa and uh, as beautiful as Africa is as a, as a continent, I think what leads Botswana as 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 a diverse destination from a photographic perspective, from a safari perspective, is that it's it's first of all it's it's large and it's and it's wild with all its open spaces. A big attraction is the population density of of humans. You know, a lot of other parts of Africa they work on a mass tourism economic benefit. Which which works in some areas, but I think Botswana's philosophy is that with that low impact tourism works incredibly well. And you know, at the end of the day, when you go on safari, the last thing you want to see is more people. You you come to see the animals, and uh, you know, with our big population densities of of elephants, the dynamics of the Okavango Delta, the the vast open spaces of the Central Kalahari Game Reserve. The unique landscape of the Maharikadi pans, the size of the Kalakadi down in the south, which I haven't really visited, the, the panhandle of the Okavanga, the Chobi, the Chobi with the, the, the unusual uh, river systems, the, the Tuli block. A lot of people forget about the Tuli block. I mean, from a photographic p- perspective, that is. That is amazing in itself. You know, you've you've got the the rock formations, you've got the baobabs. It's a fantastic place for photo hides, and it's yeah, it's difficult to <laughs> to go anywhere else. To be honest, if um, you've you've been to Botswana repetitively, yeah, it's absolutely privileged to to be able to guide safaris and and live here with with such diversity continuing and forever changing. Indeed. And as we record this, the flood's about to hit Mound, crossing the marker, which we've all placed bets on. And I think the excitement that everybody in Mound shares around something like the flood arrival is also part of what we love about this country, is that the people here are, as you said earlier, all passionate about it and all roads end in Botswana for those of us who live here. And it really is something that unites us, is our passion for safaris in the bush as you mentioned earlier yeah that um, that flood is uh, exciting it's very exciting i think um as we speak a brief conversation before we started this but um it's imminent uh, the last i heard was about 400 meters away from the old bridge 
And uh, if you look at the contrast of where the, the flood is now compared to last year, I mean, last year it, it didn't even arrive. And, you know, that just adds to the, the miracle of, of what actually happens here. And you, there's never repetition. You know, you'll go to some camps uh, last year, for example, and it, it would have been dusty and um, we had an incredible amount of fires. But, you know, that, that also has its own kind of wild beauty in a way, especially from a, from a photographic perspective. You could go to those same camps now. It's a water wilderness. And, there, and there's very few places in Africa that, that change. I'm just trying to think off the top of my head now, you know, what we could actually compare it to. But I, I can't. And, and, and I think, you know, we are in the most recent part of the Great East African Rift Valley. So geologically, it's quite recent. So it still hasn't really worked itself out it hasn't stabilized it hasn't decided okay those rivers are going to flow there this year and they're going to be flowing there for the next million years they um they're forever changing and i think with the flood arriving now as we're going into winter and then as the flood disappears the the rains arrive and it changes every year some years are early some years are never some years our houses get flooded um and that's that's just we're just talking about Maun where we live, you know. The the rest of Botswana, the, there's a lot of forever changing environments that just just constantly create that magic. Every traveler or every guest in Botswana's experience is uniquely theirs, and how at the end of the day you can't you can't compare your experience with someone else's because you are at that point in time, you are in Botswana or in the Delta or wherever you may be at that particular point in time. And that is never going to be replicable for somebody else. So it's important part of the safari experience to embrace that this is me and my experience right now, right, right here. And that that cannot be replicated in any way. But one of the ways people can try and savor that moment is photography. And that's why I've asked you to join me here today. I mean, there's so many subjects you and I could talk about and we could sit here recording for hours. But that idea of um, a photographic safari is the core of really what a lot of the Botswana safari offerings are based on. And so I wanted to, um, early in the podcast, address the idea of a photographic safari and what it involves and why do we talk about photographic safaris versus other safaris? And obviously you're a very experienced photographer as well as being a photographic guide. So you've experienced it from both taking photographs yourself as well as guiding others in the pro through the process. What is it that you think is quintessential Botswana when it comes to photographic safaris? What is it that Botswana offers as a destination versus others when it comes to taking photographs? The first thing that comes to mind is the elephants. You know, we we privileged to you know, obviously it's a it's a, it's a conservation success with regards to the the elephant populations that we actually have. You know, close to half of Africa's elephant populations are protected in in Botswana, and it, it's something that I do miss when I travel through the rest of Africa. I think you know we we almost get a bit blasé with regards to our elephant population here yeah, because we have him around the town, et cetera, et cetera. 
but you know when you travel through the rest of Africa, you you miss them. You miss those 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 elephants. And you know definitely from a photographic perspective, there's nowhere else you can you can get those herds of elephants coming into the the water holes, churning up the the dust, interacting the the sunsets. Um. There's very few places. Yeah, there there are some big tuskers that you can go and photograph in parts of of Kenya, but with regards to to numbers and and just that 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 constant movement and 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 noise, I think that's one of the first things that that actually comes to to mind in Botswana. And a lot of the safari companies have actually embraced that. And there's some phenomenal places you can. You can photograph the elephants, and you know, again, it's not, it's not just about photographing them. It's just it's it's about being so close to them and and seeing them from a from a different perspective, and and also how how relaxed these animals are. You've got uh, hyena pan, for example, uh, north of north of Kwai. They've got a, a beautiful hide there that that's recently been up to a hundred big bull elephants coming down to drink, so using a wide-angle lens or even a telephoto to just, just capture the details of the elephants, their, their tusks, their eyes, the, the trunks, um, as, well, as well as uh, Mashatu. Mashatu have got some fantastic hides from a photographic perspective. Some of the concessions have got woodpile hides and you know some of the concessions you can get out the vehicle, do some low-level photography um and also what's great about botswana um if we move away from the elephants is is just the landscape you know the landscape you're never going to see any part of of human presence in your photography there's always going to be a palm tree in the background you know it's, it's fantastic to go and follow cheetahs for a month in the serengeti but you've got that flat horizon and it's very difficult difficult from a photographic perspective to get character to your to your background and uh, I do believe the background is probably a lot more important than the uh, subject of your your photograph because your your subject only makes up a small portion of your your photograph and and it, what makes Botswana magical is often there's often there's always a palm tree some dead acacia aeroloba a two and a half thousand year old baobab in in the background, white faced whistling ducks flying in the background, or pelicans, baboons, you know, even just a troop of baboons, they their hind legs crossing through water. There's uh, the back spray from from the hippos. It's just whew, it's diverse. <laughs> there's there's a lot going on. There's 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 a lot going on. And I think from a photographic perspective that it's it's perfect. You mentioned the best places in terms of hides to watch Ellie's. Have you got any recommendations of best areas or concessions or parks that you recommend for the landscapes in terms of dramatic views and good wildlife combined with dramatic views? I would say every concession. <laughs> every concession is, is, has, its, has its magic. The dramatic landscapes, wow, that's a good, I mean, I could probably name every single concession in Botswana that's going to offer you something diverse and, and, and unique. And I think also that what makes Botswana incredible is that in a lot of other places, you 
you jump on a plane and you you fly for 30 minutes or 45 minutes or two hours and you get to your next destination in Botswana you can be okay let's let's look at the middle of the Okavango Delta you can fly from Jao camp for six minutes and you can land at Mombo camp and your environment is totally unique it's it's different it's your 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 landscape backgrounds are um, sort of characterized by those those dead trees, those acacia acacias, those flat top acacias uh, with floodplain versus Jar, where you've got the the palm trees, the the islands, the open floodplains, and then you can jump on the same plane and you can fly for probably less than ten minutes, and you're in the Duba plains which are flat open plains and you will be able to capture those silhouettes and those elephants marching down those 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 floodplains to to the water so it's 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 a wonderful environment wonderful perfect in terms of traveling through the year i think that that's probably another question that people who want to take good photographs ask is when in the year is the best time to travel for photographs we've discussed the different areas to visit but any particular seasons you recommend for particularly good photo- photographs if that's what people are that's their priority i would say to those people that come into botswana for for the first time i would say Come in the winter, definitely June, July, August into September. The the main reason for that is that it doesn't matter where you go in Botswana, it's happening. There's always some interaction between predator prey, between uh, species at a at a waterhole. Uh, you've got those beautiful soft sunsets because of the, the layers of dust. That's that's in the air, and there's there's always something happening, and you will go away having the most amazing portfolio of of photographs, and then maybe while you're in Botswana, chat to your guide, chat to the people in the camps. Uh, there's a good chance you're going to come across safari addicts in in the camps that you're staying in that have been to Botswana several times. And if you have the time to engage with them, you know, just ask them where they've been. And they'll probably tell you about different uh, concessions, parks, game reserves. Um, and then and then anything that, that comes to mind, you know, I think being a professional photographer or, or a photographer that wants to actually have a, um, a diverse portfolio, you know, the goal is always to, to think of what shot you are actually looking for and actually go and look for that shot. And um, I suppose it's like art. And, you know, you'll hear people telling stories from the Central Kalahari Game Reserve, from Deception Valley. You will hear people talking about the the green season of Botswana when the grass is a luminous green. Um, All the migrant birds are back if you enjoy your bird photography. You can get some really good backgrounds with your your bird photography you can uh, you can get some amazing landscape shots with electrical storms in the background but i would say first time definitely do june july august into september 
October, the interactions can be quite intense. You'll, you'll definitely get a lot of predator-prey interactions and, and numbers and concentrations at the waterholes because it's, it's hot. A lot of the animals are depending on the water. You'll obviously get to see the flood if you're here in our, win our winter. So that would be my recommendation for your first safari in Botswana. Sure. And then somebody who's arrived in Botswana or they're on safari and they, they've booked their trip and they're here now, what can they do on a day-to-day -day basis to make the most of the photographic opportunities that being here offers them? First of all, skip breakfast. Get, wake up before the sun even thinks about coming up and and go out. And and, and I think that's it's a great thing about a lot of the camps here, you know, it, a lot of it's based around the wildlife experience. And obviously that is the bigger picture why people come to Botswana, to Africa full stop. And a lot of the camps actually cater for this. So if you really want to get those good images and you want to have a thousand likes on Instagram and Facebook, etc., you've got to get out early, early. It obviously gives you the opportunity to find the game before they actually even start doing anything, before the light is right. And to be honest, I often spend the whole day out in, in the bush. You know, there, there used to be a rule of the first two hours of light. You know, you get the most amazing light. But, you know, these days with the, the evolution of cameras, ISO sensitivity, the, the sort of post-editing that you can do, uh, you don't you don't really need light anymore. I mean, it's it, it's amazing to be able to capture that image raw, but you'll find about ten o'clock is that's when a lot of the the mammals, be it the elephants, the giraffes, the zebras, are starting to come down to the, to the water. So those of you that gamble, it's probably like gambling. You know, the the more you put in, eventually you're going to get something out. And as you know from gambling, you're not actually going to get a lot out. So if you if you spend twelve hours a day out in the bush, you you you're gonna get you you're gonna get some you're gonna get rewarded. But um, that that's Tessa. That to be honest, that's the way I do it. You know, when I've got serious photographic uh, safaris going on, we we get up before the sun c comes up. We have the lodge put together. Uh, a very simple packed breakfast, um, sometimes a lunch as well. And uh, we, 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 our goal is to spend the, the day out there. And, you know, there's, there's always something happening there. I mean, I, I think a lot of people want to get that lion interaction, that leopard interaction. And, yeah, there's, there's the rules that the books have to say that, you know, these, a lot of these predators are, are nocturnal. They're not. I think I've I've had some of my most amazing interactions and, and photographic moments in the daytime. You know, when you, when you don't expect a male leopard to be walking around at 35 degrees heat, he's he's after the warthogs because he knows the warthogs are are moving around that time of the day. He's he's interacting with his with with his environment. You know, so if you find a hungry animal, stay with it. If you at a waterhole that is busy, stay there. And I think these days with the technology that we have, it allows you to to capture images throughout the day. And the, the saddest thing about safari is that safaris go so quick. You know, we, we do book to stay in these beautiful, elegant lodges. 
but um, most of the time we don't see those lodges until the night time. So that is the sacrilege, but uh, that is the way to get uh, the best photos. Is there any uh, time of the day that you think is, is then just time to put down your camera and not try take photographs and just absorb it and just appreciate where you are? Yeah, that's a, that's a good one. I think um, in in this day and age, we've we've been become so engrossed with you know capturing the image. You know, there's all these social media platforms, and I probably can't even name all of them. There's just there's just so much going on, and I, and I see it a lot. I see it a lot. You know, you'd be on a game drive with guests before that vehicle has even stopped. You know, if you're watching another vehicle, the people are taking photographs already, and it's just. It's, it's just embrace, you know, just, just, just first of all, enjoy what, what is actually in front of you, you know, be it a, a cheetah that's in, in hunt mode, be it a, a herd of roan antelope with their calves, or, or, or be it a, a fist trap, which is obviously a, a collection of birds that have, that have found this dry pool of water. Just, just enjoy. And, um, yeah, there is, there is immense pressure to get the image, but to, to get that image, you know, it takes a lot of thinking, a lot of focus, um, planning your background. So I, I think a lot of the time is when you, when you arrive at a site and just, just inhale, just, and breathe out slowly and just, just, just remember why you're there, what you experience, you know, you, you found this, this animal, be it, be it a leopard, be it a big sable antelope bull, you've you've come across this animal in a 130 or a 500,000 acre concession. Just realize that it's it's special to see that animal, and and just also make sure you don't you don't feel your own your whole safari through the the viewfinder of your of your camera. And then once everything's in place, and and you realize. You know, there's the opportunity of creating a, a, a beautiful image here. Then take your camera out, you know. I wouldn't say take it out. Just make sure you've got it on your lap at all time because you never know when it's going to when it's gonna erupt or when it's going to happen. And just, and then, and, and try and, and, and think about what, you know, photography is art. You know, I think, I can understand it. You know, people are excited. You know, they've just arrived on Game Drive. They're on their way from the airstrip and next thing, these animals moving across the road. You just want to click. But I promise you, you'll delete all those photographs. So I think um, uh, be selective. Definitely be selective. Because um, I still believe one of the best ways to see the Akavanga Delta is to jump in a helicopter, take the doors off. And, and, and I'm sure a lot of people that have done that, they've viewed that whole scenic flight from behind the camera. And I guarantee they'll probably keep 30 seconds of it. And they've actually missed out on the, the experience. And okay, I'm lucky. I get to travel 370 days of the year. Um, I managed to get some extra days from somewhere. And I don't, I don't really have to bring up the camera as, as often as possible. And I'll remind my guests that I'll say, guys, there's, there's no photograph here. Let's just enjoy what's happening. I think uh, be patient, patience, and and don't spend 
Why not spend your whole game drive rushing around looking? Plan, plan, or um, you know, have a goal and, and let it come to you. Otherwise, your, your safari is going to be a blur. So, Matt, you talked early, just now about guiding people through these experiences and these decisions that people are making. Can we chat a little bit about what it is you offer your guests when you are working as a private guide and escorting them as a private guide? Could you give us just a bit of a background of exactly what that means, uh, a private guide, and why that would be different from a, a guide they might interact with in a different kind of way? And just give a bit of a background on what a private guide offers and, and why people should consider a private guide and particularly, possibly even a specialist photographic private guide. So, majority of people actually come into Botswana as a safari destination. They would they would arrive and they would meet their guide at the camp and and head out. And you will have a a phenomenal experience, hundred percent. Um, there's there's people, especially from a photographic perspective, you know. I love my photography. There's a lot of photographic specialist guides out there. And I think using a, a private guide for photography is is key to to get to the next the next level. Um a, a lot of the time we would we would obviously plan what what we'd we'd like to do and you know areas that I don't know very well. I'll definitely use a, a local guide. You know, obviously I'm privileged because I've been uh, safariing around Botswana for, for for quite some time, and I um I I, I get the um, ability to to guide myself, which which is which is fantastic. But if I go into a new area, you need that local knowledge. And um, you know what's what's better than one guide is is two guides. You know when you when you've come from wherever you've come from internationally, and you've got you've got two guides. You know one who's who's driving and understanding the area. Uh, the, the the private guide that is is first of all you know knows the clients. You know he's probably spent a bit of time with the clients, especially from a photographic perspective. He he understands their their goals. He's he's you know he's obviously looking at 360s, looking at the the backgrounds, expectations of of the guests. It's that one-on-one photographic, privately guided ex- experience will definitely take your photography to to the next level. Um, I must say, it it is driving a vehicle, driving a boat, as well as getting into photography in that vessel, be it the boat, be it the helicopter. Okay, I don't fly the helicopters yet, but um, in, in the vehicle to try to do all of that is, is quite challenging. But if you've, got, if you've got somebody else working with you uh, with regards to positioning the vehicle, while you can actually look at your guest photography, work on the composition, work on the exposure, and 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 figure out you know what what they're doing right what what they're doing wrong i think that definitely adds value to the safari experience from a photographic photographic perspective and a lot of the private guides that are working in and out of botswana 
most of them have actually spent time in a lot of concessions. So you you generally know what you're going to see in the next concession. You know, you, you may be going to an area, say, for example, Juba Plains, where the lion view in there is, is, is out of this world to photograph lions moving in the daytime. And you could be at a camp previously and and be tracking a lion for three and a half, four hours. But because of your previous knowledge, you would say to your your guide then, you know, some water holes or let's just go do some bird landscape photography because you know that the next camp where that specific guide has probably not been. And ultimately you, you want to be a team. And you know, working as a team that'll obviously ensure that your your guests will sort of better understand our photography. That sounds like a great synopsis of exactly the benefits of a private guide and, and you've touched on some great points there. But I think through this whole chat, you've covered a lot of great feedback for anyone who wants to improve their photography whilst on safari and, and how to make the most of their time out here to get the best photographs whilst they're here. So hopefully even those who are not able to travel with a private guide are able to take better photographs. So thank you a lot. For, thanks a lot for that matter. I think that's really great. Yeah, thanks, Tessa. I'm sure it's a, it's a big, broad subject to to be covered. And uh, I have a feeling there's going to be a, a couple of more uh, interviews in the future. Definitely. And there's so much to talk about in terms of photography. I mean, today we haven't even touched close on gear or technical aspects. And it's, it's really been a great overview, though. Thank you so much for that. Are you ready to move on to your snapshot session where we get to pick your brain about your personal recommendations about safaris in Botswana. What is your most precious or valued piece of safari equipment and why? My most precious. Are you Honestly, you cannot leave home without your binoculars. And I made a very fatal mistake just a few weeks ago. And I had my binoculars packed in my bag. We were boating from Duba Plains to Sapupa up on the Panhandle. And I got a glimpse of a bird and the whole way down from Sapupa to Duba Plains, I had my binoculars, those binoculars sit there and I had them packed away, mainly because we had to clear channels. There was a lot of blockages, et cetera, et cetera. So it's not the kind of thing you want to do with binoculars around your neck. And I got a glimpse of a bird called the Ross's Taraco, also known as a Ross's Lurie on the panhandle and by the time I could see it and there was a good chance that it was that specific species it couldn't have been anything else but I didn't get the binoculars on it and as I got the binoculars out of my bag it had landed into a mango landed in a mango steam tree so I have a 99% confirmation that's not a hundred percent if I had my binoculars on my neck I would have been a hundred percent Life lesson, safari lesson. <laughs> yeah, big. That's a, you got to keep those. You got to keep those knockers up for sure. And that's saying something from a photographic guy, that even a photographer says binos first, most most key piece of safari equipment. That's true. Yeah, definitely the binoculars. Definitely, hundred percent. 
Which one destination in Botswana would you recommend a first-time visitor visits? I would say choose a an area that is is marginal, you know, and and this is an area that can actually allow you to to experience the best of Botswana. You know, you you want to be able to do game drives. If you look at some of those northern concessions, uh, you want to do game drives, see the big elephant herds, the uh, the herds of giraffe and the zebras. And if you're lucky to see the sables and the wild dogs, um, obviously good cat viewing. But you also want to be able to head out on the on the boats. You know, you, you don't want to go to a camp that only offers vehicles. Um, you'll still have a fantastic time. But you you need to get out onto the water because that's you know that's uh, yes there's the central Kalahari there's the Tuli block, but uh, you know we all know that the Okavango Delta is 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 a special place. So I would say definitely start in the Okavango, and try and choose a destination where you can experience all of the activities mentioned from walking to. Mokoros to boats and, and the game drives as well. And, and that'll actually give you a really good understanding and, and, and good perspective. Uh, one resource everyone coming to Botswana should know about. Uh, I think your podcast, uh, Tessa. I think um, as this gets momentum, <laughs> if, if people can uh, listen to this, I think it's the, I think it's the best way to, to get information. To be honest, um, there's not a lot. There's not a lot of information out there. I think a lot of the um, the, the the guests, travelers to Botswana, rely on their their travel agents. Um, so, and obviously, a lot of the travel agents spend a, an incredible amount of time here. But uh, we all know the local knowledge is best. So um, I'm gonna I'm gonna say Tessa Bell's podcast. That's the one. <laughs> Thank you, Matt. That's Matt. That's beautiful. Botswana's first first endorsement. Thank you very much. <laughs> All right, the big one: sundowners. Your top sundowner destination, or drink, or piece of advice to get the ultimate sundowner. You have to have your feet in the water. You got to have. You got to find a sandbank. You got to take your shoes off. Shoes are not allowed. You have to have your shoes off. You, you should either be standing on a, a sandbank of 65 million year old Kalahari sand. The water's got to be rushing past your ankles or even deeper, depending on how many gin and tonics you've had. I can highly recommend uh, the gin. And there's got to be, you know, that sun's got to be setting. The birds are going to be heading back to the heronries. You've got to you've got to make sure that there's 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 an elephant sloshing through the water and there's a hippo pool nearby, which is quite easy in Botswana. You can always get hippos, you can always get water, you can always get elephants, you always get a good sunset and a gin and tonic. Oh, fantastic! All right, the last one. Post lockdown, I mean, we're going to talk. We're going to talk just now about all the gallivanting you've been doing during lockdown. So you, this is not as applicable to you. Um, and we'll share that on the Facebook page as a unique little clip. But 
post lockdown or if you had a weekend to spare which is probably more applicable to you somebody who travels as much as you yeah well, now that the river's coming up i think definitely post lockdown we are going to be able to put the boats in the river i started my boat on sunday and it started first time so it's ready and i think i'm going to <laughs> I'm going to pack a cooler box and uh, put the tents in there and I'm going to boat upstream into the Okavango Delta. That is exactly what I'm going to do. What is interesting is that of my first four interviews, three of them have said exactly the same thing. So you better all find different spots, otherwise it's not going to be very peaceful. <laughs> as long as it's not too busy. Yeah. So is that right? Eh? So all... So three, <laughs> so, so three of us, three of the four have said the same thing. Wow. Yes, yes. And Bonty's going to Kasani to sit on the lawn at Kubu Lodge and look at the Chobi. So she's the one <laughs> okay. you're ignoring, but the awesome. rest of you are all on your boats going through the Okavango. Oh, we're doing the same. Oh, fantastic. Yeah, I know you can't beat that. And I, and I think it's because we missed it last year. You know, last year we, we couldn't do it. There was no water. To, I think to have a dry year in the Okavango was you appreciate that it, it can dry up very quickly. Well, I think the combination of a dry year in the Okavango combined with a lockdown is making everyone's, I can't say itchy feet, it's like itchy and gushies. <laughs> Everyone wants to get out there and get on the water. You were talking right at the, at the, right at the very beginning, you were talking about how everyone here all roads come back to Botswana. But I do think that the Okavango and the, the waters of the, of the Okavango are actually what we all come for. There's something particularly special about that. And um, I, I think that that's what's reflected in these answers. Well, thank you so much for your contribution this evening, Matt. I have learned a lot. And I think that you've given a really great overview of photography in Botswana and of the passion for safaris in Botswana in general. So thank you very much for your time. Thanks, Tessa. And uh, I'm sure this podcast is going to gather a lot more momentum. And uh, definitely, it's a, it's a great way of keeping people inspired about this, this beautiful country. And to remind them that we, we're here, we're waiting. <laughs> we're waiting, we're ready. That was Matthew Copham of Safari Footprints. Thank you for joining me on this next step in this journey. I hope you join me for my next episode when I discuss the education and outreach programs of Wild Bird Trust in northern Botswana with Koketsu Mokodi. If you enjoy the podcast, please subscribe as well as share with friends and fellow travelers so that we can grow our tribe of beautiful Botswana followers. 